Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are evaluating an insane Week 9 in the NFL and making picks for Week 10, plus past the halfway mark of the NFL season, the midseason award winners, and headlines to watch for. And diagnosing the scuffle between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. It's episode 47 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Happy Veterans Day, everybody, here on Thursday, November 11th, 2021, the 47th episode of Let Me Speak. Thank you all for tuning in. Just again, I want to say happy Veterans Day. Thank you to the men and women of service for what you do for this country, both past and present. The fact that we're able to have this kind of freedom and be able to do the kind of things that we are able to do, I figuratively and literally salute you for a day that should be dedicated to you. I especially want to give a special shout out to my buddy Brendan Early, who's down in Alabama doing the same thing, training to become a pilot. Dude, thank you for what you're doing, not just for me, but for the entire country. But in shaping from Veterans Day to the sports world, wow. And I mean, wow. It has just been nothing but headlines. This is going to be a pro NFL week, and we start in the NFL Looking back in week nine, the week of the upsets, I mean, everything you thought was for sure in the NFL was not. It's a totally different ball game right now, and I feel like we could go after every single game, but I want to talk about some of the games that made the biggest headlines, and obviously, one of the first ones early on on Sunday was the Dallas Cowboys coming out totally flat against the Denver Broncos, 30-16. to Now, the score does look close, but it wasn't even close. I mean, the Cowboys were down 30 to nothing at one point. 30 to nothing. And they were at home to the Broncos, okay? It, It could be, you know, sometimes in these games, it's one aspect was great, but everything else was bad. All around this team just stunk absolutely stunk they allowed 407 yards to Denver and almost 200 of them were on the ground almost 200 rush yards and not only that but their third down defense was so bad they were 8 of 15 was Denver that's more than 50 percent that's trying to do the math I don't think it's exactly 50 percent but it's definitely around that area And in watching the highlights and like in real time, my question is, why was Dallas going for it on fourth down so early and so often? I mean, in the game, they were 0 for 4 on fourth down. But why, why were they going for it so early, like in the first quarter? Like, just kick the field goal and get the points. Why are they being that aggressive against this Denver team? Denver's not the 3-0 team they were. I Granted, 
you know, they also got rid of Von Miller. And that defense, you don't know what that defense is like. So you should have run the ball and just, it should have been 30 to nothing the other way. But the fact that the Cowboys didn't have a run game just made them one-dimensional. I mean, they only had 78 rush yards in total, and 51 of them were on 10 carries by Ezekiel Elliott, okay? They had 290 yards total in offense, but why, like, get the run game going more often, okay? We know what Dak Prescott is going through. He's got an injured calf. You know, he took the week off, and yet they still won with Cooper Rush against the Minnesota Vikings, okay? How does a team like that win with their backup quarterback and then put up this with their $40 million man? That just does not make any sense to me. And right before this game, I was saying that this Cowboys team is among the tops in the NFC. Now you can't even trust that. You can't even trust that if they're having these kind of games to Denver, of all teams, to the Denver Broncos. That just doesn't make any sense. I mean, the Cowboys, I think, are continue. They're still going to be a mystery. They are still a mystery no matter what. Before, If they don't win a Super Bowl, they're going to continue to be this mystery where, you know, maybe they could go undefeated, but even then you'd say, you know, I'm not a fully firm believer in this Dallas team. So that's why I think... Like, what was Mike McCarthy doing all week? You know, you knew you were going to get Dak Prescott back. You knew you had all your weapons. I'm just blown away. I was blown away, not necessarily by the fact that they lost, but that they lost handily to the Broncos. That just didn't make any sense to me. But that wasn't even the biggest upset of the weekend. I mean, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills losing to the Jaguars 9-6. to Nine to six again. Not so much that. Okay, it's different because I don't think anyone expected Jacksonville to win. I mean, you ask nine out of ten people, they'll say the Bills beat the Jaguars handily. The fact that it was close, the fact that there were no touchdowns, and the fact that the Jaguars even won was huge, absolutely huge. Now, this is more about Buffalo just beating themselves rather than the Jaguars beating them because. We know the story about Josh Allen on Josh Allen, you know, the the linebacker sacking the quarterback. I mean, that's a pretty funny moment right there to see two guys with the same name. One of them sacks the other. That's pretty funny when I first read that. But we know Jacksonville's not a good team. We know they're not good in 2021. We know Buffalo should be a Super Bowl contender. But what was the thing that hurt them last year was not having a run game. And that's exactly what we saw In this game, they only had 301 yards of total offense, but 72 of them were on the ground. 72 were rushing. So you just got to, in play disparity, there were 47 pass attempts and 14 rushing attempts, okay? That's not a Super Bowl winning formula. That's not, that's not a contender formula. These teams who are Super Bowl contenders need to have a balance of pass and run. Buffalo doesn't have that. They don't have that. And that's what hurt them last year. That's what's hurting them in this game. And not only that, but just all the mental mistakes that Buffalo had in that game. I mean, three turnovers, two of them were interceptions by Josh Allen, 12 penalties committed against them, 6 of 15 on third down. 
This was just a bad game for Buffalo. Really bad. Really bad. You know, not just from the players, but the coaching standpoint. Got to include the run game more. That's what Buffalo has to do if they're really going to be Super Bowl contenders, is get a run game. We've been saying it pretty much before the season even began. If Josh Allen doesn't have a rushing attack to help him out, and so not everything is going to be on him, then you can feel confident about this Buffalo team. But the fact is, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, they got to get more involved. And if they are more involved, they got to be more effective. They got to be more effective. That's what we're seeing with Pittsburgh, is Pittsburgh is finally getting Najee Harris going and including him in the offense. And look what's happening. But uh, Pittsburgh is turning the corner. They're 5-3. and three. Buffalo is not doing that. I understand Jacksonville is Jacksonville, but regardless of whoever you're playing, if you don't have a balanced run attack, then you can't win. You know, you can have a good regular season, but you can't win in the postseason. That's what I'm seeing with this Buffalo team, is just getting a run game going on. And I'm going to tell you that if they lose Sunday against the Jets, then I'm going to totally just wipe my hands clean and say, Buffalo is not going to be a contending team, regardless of if they win the AFC East. They're not going to be Super Bowl contenders. But a team that does have Super Bowl aspirations are the Green Bay Packers. Of course, the story going into Kansas City was, what are they going to do after Aaron Rodgers tests positive for COVID and Jordan Love making his first career start? Obviously, they couldn't make up for losing Aaron Rodgers, losing 13-7. to Now, we could talk about the Packers all they want, but let's face it. Rodgers tested positive on Wednesday. We already knew he wasn't going to be out because he's unvaccinated, which is a whole nother story in itself. We don't know for this upcoming Sunday if Aaron Rodgers is going to be back. If he's good by Saturday, if the Green Bay Packers really want him, then they'll put him in the lineup. And they only had a few days to game plan for Jordan Love. And Jordan Love making his first career start. But I got to talk about Kansas City because they still have their issues. They've kind of righted the ship. It's kind of like just veering off if you're in a ship, veering away from an iceberg. And then there's another iceberg coming up. They still have issues. The Chiefs still have issues. The fact that they only put up 237 yards of offense, okay? No run game at all, similar to Buffalo. 77 rush yards to 160 pass yards. Patrick Mahomes was not Patrick Mahomes. 20 of 37, a buck 66 for yards, and a touchdown. And the defense still stinks, okay? You're allowing over 300 yards to an offense led by Jordan Love. By Jordan Love? I understand it was his first career start, but still, the fact that it was that close of a margin and that the offense was so limited shows me there's something deeper with this Kansas City team. Now, it's a variety of things. It's taking care of the ball. It's their defense actually playing well. It's Patrick Mahomes not throwing interceptions and forcing anyone. And it's not, it's getting weapons other than Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So there's a lot of variety with this Chiefs team. I don't, I can't say they finally turned it around. Because they're still, like I said in the metaphor, there's still an iceberg in front of them. And if they get around that one, then they'll they'll right the ship, okay? Because they got the Raiders on Sunday Night Football this week. Not an easy matchup from years past, okay? This is a good Raiders team. 
Let's keep that in mind. I know they've had all the drama, and we'll talk about it during our pick segment. But this Raiders team is not going to be a layover, especially with this Kansas City team. So, you know, we are at the halfway mark, so maybe they just got their first half jitters out of the way. Then they start to recognize themselves and actually put up Kansas City numbers. Because if they can, then they're automatic favorites in the AFC. But still... I don't know if this is a team like in years past. I don't think this is a Kansas City team that can really turn it around. I mean, you would have thought they would have turned it around a couple of weeks ago if they still have Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey in their lineup. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with Kansas City. And then lastly for Week 9, we got to talk about the Sunday night game between the Titans and the Rams. Tennessee not losing a step after losing Derrick Henry. They beat the Rams 28-16 defensively they weren't great but they had key stops and key turnovers they did allow almost 350 yards of offense but they intercepted Matt Stafford twice the Rams committed 12 penalties so this was a defense that made the stops when they need to kind of like a bend don't break kind of thing like you see with Patriots defense of the past and teams like that if this offense it's not quite the same offense if you ask me you know They're still trying to figure out, okay, how do we replace someone as big as Derrick Henry? They tried it with a running back by committee on Sunday. They had Adrian Peterson, Jeremy McNichols, and Deonta Foreman had 69 yards of total offense. So this was more of a defensive game that Tennessee won because I think their offense still has some questions. You know, how do they fill the void with Derrick Henry? It's only one week. But if you're only getting 69 yards from basically three running backs that you're looking at, then and you're putting more on Ryan Tannehill to get the ball more to A.J. Brown, to Julio Jones for Tannehill to make those kind of plays, we don't know if that can carry. But again, like I said last week, this is a Titans team that I think can make the playoffs. Maybe not a Super Bowl team, but they can still make the playoffs just because of the division that they're in and the fact that they can still stay afloat because they already have a ton of weapons that I just mentioned offensively. Defensively, can they continue to make those big stops? You know, Mike Vrabel's probably going to take from his former coach, Bill Belichick, be on a bend-don't-break kind of defense. That's sort of what I see with this Tennessee team, if they can right that ship. And now we're going to move on to a very fun segment that I've had a lot of fun making. And for this week... I brought on a very good friend to help me out with this. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the NFL Week 10 edition of our segment known as Pick'em. So, once again, it's time for our NFL Pick'em segment, and I've got a very special guest joining me, basically someone who I've known for a very, very long time. Hannah Moran joins us as our guest picker. Hannah, thanks for taking the time. I I know this was late notice, but I appreciate you taking the time and recording this. Joe, it is so nice to to be able to see you and talk to you. Um, It really just brightens up everything. So thank you for giving me the chance to talk about things of which I have no expertise on. Um, well, that that's sort of our history. Uh, for those who don't know, we go back. Oh, yeah. we go back a long time, all the way to preschool, and it was always me informing you about certain sports and stuff like that. You could keep up with the headlines, but in terms of like the actual, you know, 
punctuality and like all the terms and stuff like that. You were going to me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, my favorite was the only um, the only Celtics game I've ever been to in my life was with you. And we were in high school and I kept sitting there leaning over to you going, okay, so, so what's that guy doing? He's, he's a point guard. Oh, is, do we like him? Well, he's on our team. Oh, okay. And then when they switched directions in the baskets, oh my God, I couldn't even deal with it. Um, but no, we've, that's always been our, that's always been our thing. You oh. know, probably more about Broadway than you ever bargained for. And I little little tip for tad we'd love to hear that so are you ready to make some nfl picks yes i am i have my rough notes that i took and i'm ready for whatever information that you want to throw at me all right well before we get to your picks let's look at our standings real quick we still got our good friend johnny mansaritas leading the way at 13 and 3 Last week, we had our followers on Instagram. They went seven and seven last week. So just, just a little projection of what you're shooting for right there. So you ready to get started? I'm ready. All right. And let's start with the Thursday night game, which will take place tonight when we're recording the Baltimore Ravens and the Miami Dolphins. Baltimore at six and two, just squeaking by Minnesota last week. And Miami just getting off that win. Uh, they were on a seven-game losing streak. They broke that with a win against Houston. What do you see in the Thursday night game between the Ravens and the Dolphins? Well, I think overall, um, well, I'm picking the Ravens. First off, I'm going to start with my pick. I'm going to pick the Ravens. Um, I just think overall, Baltimore has the better team. They've proved that in the way they play on the field. Um I don't know. They just, I feel like they're going to have a stronger showing than the Dolphins. I don't like the Ravens. I think that they're very um, aggressive. And I know that football is an aggressive sport, but especially so with the Ravens. Um, but I have to give credit where it's due. The Ravens look like they have a strong team. And that is my take on the situation. Well, you're going to spend a lot more time because this is going to be a no-brainer. Baltimore should win this game easily. Oh, I didn't know we were talking in absolutes here. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would have stayed on the soapbox a little longer. Um, <laughs> yeah, Baltimore, this is going to be an easy game for them. Jackson's going to go nuts, especially after, you know, with the AFC being so wide open, they're going to try and make a statement and it's going to be at the expense of the Miami Dolphins, unfortunately. We don't know about Tua Tagovailoa if he's going to play at quarterback. Might be former Patriot Jacoby Brissett. But we'll have to see what Brian Flores schemes up if he can stop that Ravens team. So then after the Thursday night game, we go to our Sunday slate. Let's talk about the Falcons and the Cowboys at 4-4. Four and four, The Falcons upsetting the Saints last week. And the Cowboys, with I talked about in our previous segment, with an absolute dud of a game against the Denver Broncos last week. Hannah, how do you see Atlanta and Dallas? Well, I think it's going to be a um, evenly matched game. This is, by the way, all of these impressions and notes that I have taken, except for the Patriots, um, all of them are taken from the NFL YouTube channel, you know, where they do that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, game highlights, game highlights. Yeah, um, but I'm going to pick the Cowboys for that one. I think that um, the Falcons are very sharp defensively. Um, and they, I said that it's going to be a well-played game. I think the Cowboys just overall are sharper. I know that they had that dud, but I don't know. There's just something about them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite count them out. 
Yeah, it, it was tough to read the Cowboys last week, as I mentioned. You know, it's hard to read if they're actual contenders or not. But I think from a team standpoint, they're much better than what they showed last week. And I think they're going to they're gonna show that this week. I'll agree with you, and I'll go with the Cowboys on this one to get to 7-2. and two. And speaking of that game with the Falcons, the team that they beat last week, the New Orleans Saints, they're now 5-3. and three. They travel to Tennessee. They go to 7-2. and two. The Titans, they look like a totally different team, but they still got the win in L.A. last Sunday night between the Saints and the Titans. Who you got? So this one was interesting. This one was the one that I had the toughest time with because I really couldn't decide for a while. I ultimately went with the Titans, but I do think that it's going to be a very um, evenly matched, tough, not tough game, but like it'll be touchdown, touchdown, tit for tat sort of thing. Um, In my notes, I wrote that Tennessee has a really um, impressive defensive line from the highlights that I've been looking at. Um, But the Saints are good at distributing the ball evenly. So it's up Mm -hmm. to the Titans to then make sure that that defensive line covers them. Um, And I wrote down Simeon QB. That is the quarterback for the Saints. Am I correct? Yes, Trevor Simeon. All right. He looked very impressive to me in what I saw. Um, So I think it's going to be a tough game. I think the Titans are ultimately going to take it, but it could go either way. I think I do agree with you because when you, first off, Trevor Simeon replacing Jameis Winston last week, who tore his ACL the week before. So he's really the backup quarterback who's now in the lead way. But like, yes, yes, he was the second string quarterback. But, but what you have to understand is that similar to Jameis Winston, the first quarterback, is he's all about managing the game. So it's just managing, not giving up the ball, not giving up turnovers. I think, like you said, Tennessee defensively, they did really well against the Rams last week. They created the crucial turnovers, a little bend, don't break kind of attitude. I just think this could be an upset. I think the Saints have that confidence thinking, hey, we can do it with Trevor Simeon. And plus, they're in the Odell Beckham sweepstakes. We don't know if that'll be oh, some extra. They're, ex- the, they're in the sweepstakes too. I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm speaking from the Patriots fan side of it where, you know, personality-wise, do I want him on the team? No. But playing and statistics-wise, do I want him on the team? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, they're one of the people. I mean, I think he could do well in New Orleans. He could do well anywhere. But, um, yeah. Exactly. So, I think New Orleans, they got a little extra motivation. So, I hate to disagree with you, but New Orleans is going to be my pick for that game. That's, that's fair. Like I said, that that was the matchup that I had the toughest time with. Um, trust, me, trust me, if you saw all of last week's games, it wouldn't be that big of an upset. I mean, come on, Jaguars over Bills last week, who would have thought? It was insane last weekend. Last Ex- weekend with like all of the teams that have so far not been doing really well, all of a sudden are winning. Yeah. Except- we week of the upsets week of the upsets yeah and we'll see if this will let's see if jacksonville can get two straight wins as they face the indianapolis colts jacksonville at two and six as we said beating the bills last week here come the colts still with playoff aspirations between jacksonville and indianapolis how do you see it i think the colts are going to take it but i do think jacksonville is going to feel really emboldened by last week i think that coming off of an upset like that, they're going to be riding that confidence wave of, yeah, let's just go out and kill them. Um, I think the Colts have a really strong running game. And I wrote down Jonathan Taylor. Yes, wow. the, lead, the lead running back. Lead running back. 
yes, that guy, he's impressive. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it, I think the Colts will take it, but I think that Jacksonville is not going to let them get away that easily. I agree. It's also a divisional matchup in the AFC South. You know, we're, we're noticing with Indianapolis when their quarterback Carson Wentz is on their, on his two feet, they're a good team. And when he's healthy, they're a good team. And as you said, Jonathan Taylor has been excellent running the game. They do. They played last Thursday. So they've got well uh, more than enough time to prepare for Jacksonville. So I agree with you. Indianapolis should take this game. And now this one is probably going to take the longest because we've got the Browns and the Patriots, both teams at five, both teams at five and four in the playoff picture. Really, this is kind of like a must win for both teams to really keep their playoff expectations alive. I kind of have a feeling I know where you're going, but just take us on there. Take us on that journey. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't realize I would be the journey person. Um, I'm going with the Pats, but the Browns are going to put up a big fight. I think they looked really impressive last week against Cincinnati. Um, but I am a firm believer in Mac Jones. I think that for a rookie, he has had a pretty impressive first season. Um, the Patriots just on the whole have to remember to protect Mac Jones, which they have not been doing a good job of. (laughs) Um, they need to work on their actual tackling technique, um, But I think that if the Patriots remember that they're the New England Patriots and to play to that level that we all expect from them, then it's not going to be an easy win, but I think that they will win. So I'm right. I'm right on the line with you right there. That offensive line has to protect Mac Jones. This is one of the fiercest defensive lines in the entire NFL, not to mention the run game that Cleveland has. They got to wrap up Nick Chubb if he can play or whoever's in that backfield for Cleveland they've got to be able to tackle well they can't have any missed tackles and this might be a game where Mac Jones is going to have to win it on his own he's going to have to throw the ball he's going to have to get his weapons available I think I agree with you that this is going to be a close game I think the Pats should take this one I mean we're starting to learn about Cleveland that they do better without Beckham obviously that it's like a weight was lifted off them and Baker Mayfield uh, was able to just throw the ball at will to guys like Nijoku, Peoples-Jones, Landry. I think, again, this might come down to like a field goal down at the end between these two because these two teams are that close. But I think home field advantage is going to be a big advantage. I know the Pats have only won uh, one game at home, but I think still, you know, you and I have been to Gillette. That crowd gets oh, – it get, yeah, it gets loud for games that they have to win. And I think this is a must win, not only for Cleveland, but it's for New England. But I like New England to keep going. They keep rolling. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. I think I have a good feeling about them. I know that last season there was a whole lot of doubt about whether they could perform to the level that we want without Brady um, and the whole Cam Newton saga. But, I mean, I think Max a great addition to the team. I think that he has the right attitude, the, um, but he's green. He's, you know, he's a baby. He's younger than both of us. I hope you understand. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're getting to that point. Ew. But, um, <laughs> but I'm, I believe I literally wrote, I am a believer in Mac Jones in my notes. So as long as the Patriots protect him and keep on trucking, then I think that we might have a chance to be successful. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with New England. They got to get past Cleveland first. And speaking of New England, their rivals in the AFC East is the next game we're going to. The Bills 
and the Jets. Now, you've told me multiple times you've got family members who are related to the Jets. So I don't know if you're going to upset them or not about this pick, but Buffalo coming off that Jacksonville loss, the Jets off of the Thursday night loss to Indianapolis. What do you see between Buffalo and New York? I I do. So I have family in New Jersey who are very um, big Jets fans, very dedicated. Um, But I'm going with the Bills. I think last week's loss um, against Jacksonville was a fluke. Um, The Jets have a lot of speed, but they can't seem to make contact with anyone. Um, I I have a soft spot in my heart for the Jets. I do. I mean, it's... You hear the New York Jets and you just go, oh, man. But I, th- I think just overall, I'm going with the Bills. But I, I, I should say I'm going with the Bills. I hope the Jets surprise me. <laughs> I hope that they prove me wrong. Well, from from your good. yeah, from your style of picks, where if the Pats win and the Bills lose, that would put the Pats at first place in the AFC East. So, you know, maybe maybe that style. But you are picking the Bills. I agree with you. Last week was a fluke. It was more about, you know, like I said in our previous segment, the Bills beat themselves rather than the Jaguars beating the Bills. I think, you know, maybe for for your family, I'll say they lose by 14 (laughs) and 14 instead of 20. Maybe that'll be for the sake of my extended relatives. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe I'll 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 be nice to them in that way. Maybe it's two touchdowns instead of three. So that's what I see. I think this is a statement game for the Bills to get back on track. So then we move to maybe a sorrier franchise, and that's the Detroit Lions right now at 0-8. The only winless team in the NFL right now doesn't get any easier after their bye week. They travel to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh coming off a Monday night win over the Bears. They're now at 5-3 and three in the thick of the AFC North race. Lions and Steelers, who you got? I just can't believe you actually referred to them as a sad franchise. Yeah, I haven't won a Super Bowl. I know it's just, it's a, it's a shame. Um, but yeah, no, I, I got to pick the Steelers. <laughs> I, having said all of that, trying to stick up for the poor lions, I have to pick the Steelers. Um, I said it was similar to the Ravens and the dolphins and that overall the Steelers are just a stronger team. Um, I think what is it? TJ water, TJ Watt. TJ Watt. Okay. TJ Watt is ferocious. Um, Reigning defensive player of the year. Yes. And I think Roethlisberger is doing what he gets paid to do, which is always nice. That's always a criticism that I have um, with the Red Sox. I'm much more of a baseball person than a football person. I don't know if the listeners can tell, but um, whenever I get angry at a player or something, I go, do what we pay you for. So that's <laughs> Roethlisberger is doing what he gets paid for, which is always good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't have any other real deep analyses here. It's just the Steelers are a stronger team and I think they're going to run away with it again. Hope that the lions prove me wrong, <laughs> but I'm thinking not. Yeah. Well, what you're saying about Roethlisberger is he's getting paid what he's due. He's just barely. Cause remember he's 39. A lot of people, oh. he's 39. He's not looking like the big Ben of old, but he is using his weapons around him. Some great wide receivers. He's got Najee Harris in the back. And as you said, that defense is coming alive. TJ Watt being in there makes such a big difference. He makes such a big difference for that Steelers team. We saw it in multiple games these past weeks, especially on the Monday night game, being effective against Justin Fields and Chicago. That's the difference maker. And I don't know when Detroit is going to get that first win. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's not going to be this week. 
Pittsburgh sees Thanksgiving. They're running out of time. Exactly. They remember they're the only winless team to go a, a whole year without winning. They're the only 0-16 team in history. Just keep that in mind. Um, but again, I think no-brainer. Pittsburgh should win this game. And now we maybe go to another game with another team that's close to your heart. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Washington football team. Six and two for the Bucs, two and six for the WFTs. Bucks coming off a bye week. Does Tom Brady go into the nation's capital and beat Washington again? Well, the, I think the phrase close to my heart in that they shattered my heart. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm going with the Bucks, and I'll tell you why. Tom so Brady. Brady. Yeah. I I've come up, not that I've come up with a theory, because I think that this is a belief that a lot of people have having been, um, what, what am I trying to say? He was our quarterback for a long time. A Tom Brady been, supporter, Tom Brady follower. Under the reign of Brady for a long time. Brady does not play simply to have a good season of football. You know how people sometimes are like, oh, well, we, you know, got to the playoffs and we did this and we did that. That's fine. Brady goes into every single season trying to win a Super Bowl. The Detroit Lions guy doesn't do that, but Brady <laughs> expects, demands Super Bowl rings every single year. So he's, I think that the fact that he won the Super Bowl, in Tampa Bay is just giving him even more of that fire of like, ha, see, I can do it without Belichick. However, I have an addendum to this. He also has Rob Gronkowski. He also has Antonio Brown, who has been a just force of nature. I am thinking that they could even change their name to the Tampa Bay Patriots because look at all the people. Look at all the people who are at the Patriots and they're just retiring down to Tampa Bay and playing football. I can't even deal with it. But um, but no, I think that the Bucks are going to take it because it's Brady and Antonio Brown um, and the Washington football team. I mean, nobody really stands out to me in particular um, to a layman who doesn't know a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm going with the Bucks. I think a very weird way to get there, but I do agree with you that that Tampa Bay should they should win this game. Remember, this is a rematch of the wild card game where Taylor Heineke for Washington almost beat Tom Brady, almost beat him in in Washington. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be deeper than that. You know, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, as you said, they're dealing with some injuries. Are they going to be active? We don't know that until we get to maybe Sunday. But even so, Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette. Chris Godwin, OJ Howard, Cameron Bright, you name it, they got it. You know, not all the Patriots are going down there, but they have plenty of weapons. <laughs> They've got plenty of weapons on both sides of the field. And I think it should be an easy win for Tampa Bay. They should go to that one. So sure. now we go, we go into the four o'clock slate of games and we go to Carolina at Arizona. Now, this one's got a little bit of a twist on the Carolina side because I think, yep, you know what's going on. Cam Newton. Just re-signed with the Panthers early this morning. I he don't. Did? He did. He signed a one-year deal with the Panthers. Sam Darnold got put on the IR because of an injury. So now the quarterback depth is Cam Newton and PJ Walker. Is that enough to take down the eight and one Arizona Cardinals? Well, well, this changes things a bit. Um, I did. I did pick the Panthers. Um, I said not to count the Cardinals out because they're they are a pretty strong team um 
I said that the Panthers need to work on not somersaulting over themselves when they run the ball. I noticed in the highlights that that seemed to be a bit of an issue. Um, but now the, oh, oh, now Cam Newton's back. Now my picks, now that's going to be my other reason why I'm picking the Panthers. Um, yeah, dude, I mean, it's, I, I'm sorry. This just threw me for a loop. So, <laughs> this is breaking and, news for you. This is breaking news for, I've, I've been a little preoccupied. Um, so is Cam Newton starting this week? Uh, we do not know that the reports have not gotten that far. We okay. just know he's signed to the roster. Well, if he starts, then they're definitely going to win. If he doesn't, then it might be a little bit more of a challenge. The Cardinals, um, I think it was, they played the 49ers last week, yes? Last week was the 49ers. So that was a really kind of odd matchup because I think both teams were missing a lot of their key players, um, but the Cardinals won, yeah? Handily, handily. Handily, yeah. So they're a pretty strong team. I think that, like I said, I think Cam Newton's going to be that secret ingredient. Um, But even if he doesn't play, I think the Panthers might surprise us. That's a big upset right there. The 8-1 and Arizona Cardinals go to 8-2. and I hate to disagree with you, but you look at that Arizona team that 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 absolutely destroyed the 49ers, and they didn't have their starting quarterback, Kyler Murray. They didn't have their star wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. They lost their starting running back, Chase Edmonds, last week. They didn't have A.J. Green, their second wide receiver, and they still, they still obliterated San Francisco. Now, Carolina is different. Obviously, last week against New England, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. They've got to change a quarterback. I don't know if P.J. Walker or Cam Newton is going to make a big difference. That's why I think Arizona at home, they're going to win this one because, you know, we don't know about injury-wise if Murray is going to be back, Hopkins is going to be back. But I think even so, Arizona is a much better team, and this role that they're, they've been on, have got it's got to keep going. It's got to keep going for Arizona. So give me the Cardinals to beat the Panthers at home. But it sounds it sounds like uh, in your eyes, Cam Newton's going to turn this thing around. He might, you know, you you never know with Cam Newton. He's he's um he's unpredictable. That was one of the um issues I think he had with the Patriots that he was unpredictable, but in the wrong way. Um, so who knows? Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. And he goes to his first ever franchise, the team that drafted him, and he won the MVP. So it's kind of a good. It's a good heartfelt story to see cam newton with a job again with his old team <laughs> I, lo- I would love it if you stopped it at, oh it's nice to see cam newton has a job again and then that's it <laughs> i mean he, he's probably gonna get money elsewhere but the fact he's still playing football is good yeah so now we move on to minnesota and los angeles the vikings just losing in overtime last week they're three and five chargers squeaking by the eagles last week they're at five and three how do you see minnesota and los angeles well, I originally had the Vikings and then I changed my mind Ooh. because here's the thing. The Vikings, I honestly, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the Vikings too. I just, I don't know why I just like them. Um, I think they are a very consistent team, but I think LA is having a particularly good year and they seem to be on the upswing. So I'm going to go with the chargers. I know that they had, um, they had a couple weeks, I think, where they weren't playing up to the level that everyone expected. But I think that that tide is turning. Also, may I? A- this is kind of off topic. May I ask a not smart football question? 
Do it. L.A. has the Chargers. Yes. L.A. has the Rams. That is true. There are two L.A. teams now. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So just, just don't get don't get those two mixed up. Don't get them mixed I up. I, I've mixed them up plenty of times in the past. Um, I think, you know, like you said, the Chargers had some really bad weeks off of the bye week. They lose to New England. They're just squeaking by the Eagles. I think Minnesota, they play teams tough. They really do play teams tough despite their record. And that's why I think on the road, you know, this L.A. team is still young. A lot of their guys are young. They, I, th- I like to use the theory of when they got into the spotlight after beating Baltimore and thinking, um, oh, they're now a team to reckon with. And it's kind of like that pressure maybe got to them after the bye week against New England. Then they kind of got themselves back to where they were against Philadelphia. I think this is a week for Minnesota to get that upset. This is a team that's still fighting for a playoff spot. I think Minnesota comes out swinging, and I think they pull the upset. I think they pull the upset and beat the Chargers. I think the Chargers are just too young, and they're not ready yet. They're like one one year away. They're one year away from really, really being good. But for this yeah. week, I'm going to take Minnesota on this one. All right. I mean, I, I originally had the Vikings anyway before I changed my mind. So really, I mean, could go either way. Exactly. Exactly. So now we move on to the Eagles and the Broncos. The aforementioned Philly team is now three and six after losing at the buzzer to the Chargers last week. Denver, what a week they had beating the Cowboys last week. They were up 30 to nothing at one point. Now they're back home taking on Philly. How do you see the Eagles and the Broncos? All right. I am going to go with the Broncos. I'm going to go with the Broncos. Um, in my notes, I have the Eagles quarterback apparently hasn't been throwing a lot. Yeah, Jalen Jalen Hurts is a mobile quarterback. Jalen Hurts, okay. Um, that's all fine and good, but correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. The, the, the job of the quarterback, the position of the quarterback is to throw the football. Yes? <laughs> Major, majority of their job entails okay. to throw. Okay, so if your quarterback hasn't been throwing a lot, that doesn't seem good. That doesn't seem like an effective strategy. Um, but even like all joking aside, I think the Broncos are beasts defensively. I think that they have a really, really strong defensive line, uh, particularly Javante Williams. He looks like a warrior. Like he will take that football and just, it's no, you're looking at me. Is Javante not in the defensive line? He's a running back. Okay. Retract that statement. I still think Javante <laughs> Williams is a warrior. The two bullet points are next to each other. I also don't know anything about football, as we've stated. But um, <laughs> shows, like got his head down. But um, no, I honestly I think overall the Broncos are on a hot streak. They're a really talented team, and I think that they're going to take this one. What's so funny about Denver is they traded the week before their maybe their best defensive player, their Super Bowl MVP Von Miller. They traded him. And the next game afterwards, they beat the Cowboys. So that was that's an eye opener right there. This, this was a Denver team that did start three and zero, but it was against winless teams at that point. It was like a record of zero and nine between the three teams that they beat. So that's where the skeptics were on that one. I think being at home and like you said, Jalen Hurts isn't throwing the ball as much. Nick Sirianni hasn't really opened up that game as much. So that's why I think Denver at home is really. They're going to make a statement. I think they're going to make a statement. Plus that AFC West is so tight where you don't want to let any game get away from you. So that's why I think Denver has to and will win this game, at least in my eyes. 
Moving on now, we have Seattle and Green Bay. This one has quarterback questions. You have Aaron Rodgers, who tested positive for COVID-19. He could be eligible by Saturday. If he's eligible, he will play. If not, it'll be Jordan Love for his second career start. On the other side, on Monday, Russell Wilson was cleared to throw and practice. He will start. A lot of questions for both teams, Hannah, between the Seahawks and the Packers. What do you say? Well... I'm saying Seahawks because I think if Russell Wilson can do what he's capable of, then Seattle is going to have that fire in them and they're going to take it. I think that the Green Bay Packers organization is going through a lot right now um, because of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, what that mentally will do to a team. It's, it's, I don't want to get too far into it. Because <laughs> That's a story within itself. Well, get me on a train and I'll pull out of the station and you won't be able to get me back. Um, I did have some choice statements in my notes, but um, <laughs> honestly, in terms of football, I think that Green Bay is a strong team, but I think that if Russell Wilson comes back and he performs to the Russell Wilson level, I think Seattle's going to take it. See, this this one is kind of tricky for me because I think if Aaron Rodgers plays, they win. If he doesn't, Seattle wins. I'm going to go on the assumption yeah, that he right. will – I will say that he does clear protocols and he does get on the football field because Aaron Rodgers is to Green Bay what, you know, maybe Tom Brady is to New England or Tampa Bay or Derrick Henry is to Tennessee. He's just so invaluable that the minute – He's yeah. out of the line. The minute he's out of the lineup, it's very hard to replace. And contrary to personal reasons, how you feel about Rodgers, he's still one of the all-time quarterbacks. He's still one yeah. of the all-time quarterbacks. A really good year this year too, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, seven and one, seven and one before the COVID situation. And I, I think this, I think this is a statement for the Packers. I think you know, regardless of whether Jordan Love plays, I think he's now comfortable in that starting spot. I think regardless, Green Bay should win this game. But again, it's all dependent on if Aaron Rodgers is starting on Saturday. We'll probably know about that until Saturday if he clears protocols. But then we move to the Sunday night game between the Chiefs and the Raiders. The Chiefs at 5-4, and four, Kansas City getting that win over Green Bay, minus Aaron Rodgers. And the Raiders are just going through a lot with Henry Ruggs. Their coaching situation... They've got a lot going on. Kansas City, Las Vegas, who you got? I'm going to say KC, but um, I said I think the Raiders need to up their defensive game. I don't know a whole lot about what's going on in their um, organization in terms of the coaching stuff. Um, From what I saw on the NFL YouTube channel from the highlights, the Raiders need to up their defensive game. But Mahomes also isn't having a good go of it. I think that he's really struggling this season Um, after, you know, having talked himself up a lot, he's kind of being cut down to size. I have my own thoughts on that. Um, But yeah, I think that KC is going to take it, but it's honestly, they might have a good record, but it feels like a race to the bottom. It's, it's obvious that in past years, the chiefs have had the Raiders number, the Raiders play them tight, but somehow Kansas city finds a way And like I said about the Raiders, they've got so much going on within their organization between the the John Gruden situation with the Henry Rugg situation. And now they released uh, one of their uh, 2020 first round picks. 
you know, it's just a total mess right now for the Raiders. That's why I think this is prime opportunity for Kansas City to, you know, maybe right the ship. Like, like I said in the, the previous segment, you know, they're not Super Bowl contenders, but they can at least, you know, steer clear of this iceberg. And then you've got another another iceberg coming up that you got to avoid. And you just got to keep avoiding them until you get to the very end. So that's why I think Kansas City is going to have a big game this week. And they're going to beat their AFC West rivals. And then finally, we wrap up week 10 with the Monday night game between the other Los Angeles team, the Rams taking on the 49ers. Rams at 7-2, and two, dropping at home to the Titans. They go to San Francisco to face the 3-5 and five 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo still the quarterback. They're not going to go to Trey Lance just yet. What do you see on the Monday night game between the Rams and the 49ers? See, that surprises me that the Rams have the record that they do because I'm going with the 49ers. I think I, well, the literal statement that I have in my notes is Jimmy Garoppolo's supremacy Um, in a more (laughs) even-handedly way. I think that, I mean, I've always loved Jimmy G. I think that he is an incredibly talented quarterback. Um, I don't think the Rams um, look as good as their stats show. I, I, they are playing with their hearts and they're playing with their guts. But it, I don't know. It feels like there's not a lot of return on their play. And the 49ers are one of those teams who just always have a lot of potential. They sometimes don't reach that potential but they have the, um, they have the effort. So I'm going, I'm going with the 49ers. See, Maybe I, I'm, but- I'm going to disagree with you. I think this is a really good Rams team. These are my Super Bowl <laughs> picks. They got Von Miller. He didn't play last week, but he's going to play eventually. And plus Matthew Stafford, you know, just had a hiccup last week against the Tennessee team. As I said, Tennessee was great defensively in causing the turnovers. I mean, the Rams kind of just shot themselves in the foot last week. They gave up almost 350 yards. They committed 12 penalties, so they're going to have to clean that up. I think Sean McVay will with that team. I think they got to get the run game more involved with Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle. But I think for Monday night, the Rams should win this one over the That's 49ers. Good. I'm a I'm a Jimmy G fan too. Don't get me wrong. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of him too, but I just don't think he wins this matchup. I don't think he wins it against LA. So that wraps up our slate of games for week 10 hannah well done with your job i know you're not you're not you're not well versed in the game of football but i thought you did a tremendous job picking games i tried so hard my it's joe you know how much of a football fan my mom is so i i can't wait for her to hear this episode and then be like oh my god how did i raise this kid Um, (laughs) but listen if you ever need a picker for baseball season that's when i'll get i'll get you during spring training i'll definitely get you during spring training uh do you have anything you want to promote out there for any of the listeners out there uh nothing at the moment just you know be good to each other and live happily be safe and let's go pass it's not really a promo or a handle but i will take that (laughs) (laughs) no online presence (laughs) It's all good. Hannah Moran, thank you very much for joining us and good luck on your picks this week. Thank you very much, Joe.
So up next, we stick with the NFL, and we got to talk about some midseason awards. We're just past the halfway mark of the NFL season, and really, they don't give them out, but we I really want to just look at some, really look at the award winners and in the award races, really who's leading right now if the season were to end. We're past the halfway mark of the 18-week, 17-game season, so let's just see who I believe really should be if, if things stay the way they are, who should be award winners? And obviously, starting with MVP, I would say if Derrick Henry wasn't hurt, then I would have given it to him. But I think Lamar Jackson is just clear-cut the MVP. When you look at his season from 2019 when he won the first MVP, we knew what he could do athletically, running the ball. We knew what he could do right then and there. But the fact of the matter is he has now become an elite passer. He's totally an elite passer. You know, he's ninth in pass yards per game, all while being top 10 in rush yards. So this is a guy, Lamar Jackson, who's just getting better and better and is becoming an all-around elite quarterback, which is huge for this Ravens team with how wide open the AFC is. The fact that he's that valuable, you take him out of the lineup, and you're basically dead in the water if you're Baltimore. That's what Lamar Jackson is. He should be the first half MVP. And if, if he continues the way he is, you know, just doesn't go on a total downward spiral, then that's your MVP right then and there. Should get his second MVP. In terms of offensive player of the year, I want to say, I, I just think Tom Brady has done so much. And I think, you know, Normally, it's given to like a non-quarterback, but I just think Tom Brady's doing too much, especially at age 44 with all the weapons he's got. You know, it, it's kind of a no-brainer to me to see Tom Brady as Offensive Player of the Year. On the other side for def- Defensive Player of the Year, I really, I went back and forth, you know. I did pick Miles Garrett when I made my appearance on Right Off the Bus. I said Miles Garrett, and he is leading the league in sacks right now. But I think when you look at, you know, value to their team, TJ Watt is so valuable to that Pittsburgh team. We saw it in previous games, you know, making big plays against Seattle, making big plays last Monday night against Chicago. You know, he is second in the NFL with 11 and a half sacks. But when you saw him out of the lineup when he was hurt at the uh, first half of the year, you saw how much of a difference that was. Pittsburgh is a whole different team now that TJ Watt is anchoring that Steelers defense. So I think TJ Watt at this moment is at uh, the front of the leaderboard in terms of defensive player of the year, probably going back to back if he keeps things up. In terms of rookies of the year on the offensive side, again, I went back and forth. I was thinking Jamar Chase, Mac Jones, both are making an impact. But again, I look at the value and I just see Lamar, uh, Jamar Chase has been really just keeping Cincinnati afloat. I mean, if Jamar Chase wasn't catching balls from his college teammate Joe Burrow, then Cincinnati probably won't even have the record that they have. And just look at the numbers that he's got. He's... A, in the top five in receiving yards, he's third, and he's tied for fourth in reception touchdowns, okay? This was a guy back in August during the preseason said he couldn't catch the ball because there were no lines on it. Now you see him putting up 200-yard games. You see him basically becoming a number one and maybe the French, the next great wide receiver in that Bengals franchise. That's why, to me, Jamar Chase, 
you know, he's putting out more of the numbers when you look at the voting committee as compared to Mac Jones for New England. Yes, he's doing good, but he's not making the kind of impact that Chase is having in terms of the numbers. So I'll go rookie of the year offensive-wise to Jamar Chase. And on the defensive side, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I predicted Micah Parsons because of his versatility. You know, he can rush the passer and drop back in coverage. I think he's doing exactly what I just described, and he's doing that for the Cowboys. That's why I think Defensive Rookie of the Year, Micah Parsons, is leading that race. For Coach of the Year, I think Cliff Kingsbury, what he has done with this Cardinals team, not necessarily having them as a good team, but being the best team in the NFL right now. They've got the best record at 8-1, and one, and everyone knew they might be good when they have... Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hawkins, A.J. Green, all the weapons. But to see him this good, I think not only would Cliff Kingsbury be my coach of the year, but the biggest surprise in the NFL would be the Cardinals because of how good they are, sitting at 8-1 and one in the top of the NFC and the entire NFL. And not only that, but you have to look at the team. Look at last week against San Francisco. I mean, no Kyler Murray. He was hurt. No DeAndre Hopkins, no A.J. Green. They lose Chase Edmonds on the very first play of the game, and they still route the San Francisco 49ers. That should tell you the story within itself. That's why the Cardinals are the biggest surprise to me. And then the biggest disappointment so far, you know, I put three teams in this category. I put the Dolphins, I put the Chiefs, and I put the Browns. I think the Dolphins, though, have to be the biggest disappointment just because of how far they dropped off. I mean, this was a team with playoff aspirations. They were eliminated in the last one or two weeks of the season last year. They had playoff aspirations this year. A lot of people were penciling them in for a wild card spot in the AFC. And now they've got the third worst record in the NFL. I mean, we thought the defense was going to be their strongest point. They're the third worst defense in yards allowed and pass yards allowed, okay? Where's Xavier Howard? Where's Byron Jones? Where's Eric Rowe? Where's that defense that was supposed to be good for Brian Flores this year? And not only that, but now that Tua Tagovailoa is the quarterback, we've seen it in the press. We've heard it from head coach Brian Flores. He said Tua's our guy. Even with all the Deshaun Watson rumors going around, Tua Tagovailoa was the guy. He wasn't the guy last year. He didn't have any expectations of actually being good. Now everyone's saying, oh, Tua's good. He's got to be this. He's got to be that. He's not. He's not. The Dolphins are winning games with their backup, with Jacoby Brissett, who's just barely a starter in this league. So the Dolphins have to be the worst disappointment, the biggest disappointment in the NFL so far. I mean, the Chiefs are disappointing. The Browns are disappointing. But for how far... The Dolphins dropped off. Blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. But you know, it's a good thing that there's still a second half of the NFL season still to go. Because all these expectations and predictions can change. Which means there is nothing but excitement left to come during the NFL season. So now we move to the hardwood and talk about the NBA. And let me tell you, when you talk about the NBA this past week, you have to talk about the heated moment 
between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets, it was absolutely wild. And the situation was just was absolutely crazy. Markeith Morris fouls Nikola Jokic. Jokic retaliates, basically gives Morris like a whiplash or whatever. Both teams were separated. Jokic was ejected. Morris was ejected. And then punishments came down. And I thought that little sequence right there is the perfect subject for this week's edition of our segment known as Hot Takes. So as I've said, you've all seen the video of how it went down. If you haven't seen it, this is the breakdown right here. You see under the basket, Bam Adebayo going up, looking for a foul. Obviously, Markeith Morris thought he got fouled. And so he goes and fouls Jokic. Jokic with maybe the biggest retaliation, maybe in the history of basketball, literally like a forearm shiver into the spine of Markeith Morris. I'm surprised punches were not thrown after that. I mean... Jokic retaliated in a huge way, huge way, and obviously it led to an ejection for both Jokic and for Morris, as I mentioned, and the punishments came out, which we'll talk about later, but in talking about that situation, I mean, the kind of foul that Markeith Morris gave to Jokic, it deserved some kind of retaliation, I mean, that was a non-basketball foul. It wasn't like an intentional foul. You wrapped him up. If you look at the replay, he basically does the same thing that Jokic kind of did, but at a lesser degree. He just kind of sort of like kind of put his forearm into him and then just kind of pushed him aside. And I mean, you can't turn your back after that. If you're making a dirty play like that, you can't turn your back. Absolutely not. Because I think if you're turning your back, then you're vulnerable, and that's what led to, you know, Morris getting hit. He was on the ground. He got up again, tried to get up, but then he went down again. And by the way, just not discrediting any kind of severity of any kind of injury, but did he really need a backboard to get hit like that? You know, I'm not discrediting that, but I, in real time when I first saw it, you know, in in real time, I was like, I don't think he needs a backboard, does he? But then looking at the replay, you know, the way, the way his neck and his head kind of went back and then fell on the ground, you know, maybe just as a precaution to have it out there. But again, Morris, you can't have your back turned, especially when you look at the Joker. I mean, he's got a history. He's got a history of being in heated moments, having a temper and stuff like that. You look at last year's playoffs when he got the ejection with Devin Booker. He's always arguing about calls. He's been ejected, et cetera, et cetera. So. The Joker has a history. He's got a history like that. Now, what was fascinating was, you know, after the moment, and then after the game, you heard Jimmy Butler talking, and a lot of the Heat players were waiting outside the Nuggets locker room, just waiting for Jokic. I mean, let's just put it to you like this. Miami and Denver are too good of a team to really escalate things any further you know not saying it's going to like malice of the palace you know and stuff like that where players are getting suspended for a year but you look at where the standings are right now it's still early on but denver is seven and four they're fourth in the western conference right now miami seven and four fifth in the eastern conference so you don't want to take things any further than they already are okay so i think both of these teams are just too good to really let things get you know, totally out of hand, and 
we're hearing a lot of players, you know, speak up. Like PJ Tucker is saying, it's not about basketball anymore. Jimmy Butler obviously standing up. You hear Eric Spolstra saying uh, about his team, you know, we're past it. And, you know, Spolstra is past it. You get it. It's one play. And that's what I think the mentality has to be is that this is one play. You know, you move on to the next one. If you're playing each other the next night or in the next few days, then maybe you can let it fester, let it linger. But the fact is, these two were not playing each other the very next day. So you have to let things go. You know, maybe it's like a 24, 48 hour kind of thing. What was funny, though, was the Twitter exchange between the Morris twins and the Jokic brothers. I mean, what? An, <laughs> that was entertaining. Obviously, Marcus, you know, it makes sense because you got both brothers standing up for the other. But Marcus didn't want any smoke from the Jokic brothers hearing him say, you know, those guys are from Serbia. And they're just big and muscular. You know, I don't think the Morris twins want any smoke from the Jokic brothers. Now, in terms of the punishments, the MVP in the league gets suspended for a game. Markeith Morris fined 50K. Jimmy Butler was fined for trying to escalate it. I think the punishments are perfect. Absolutely perfect. More Markeith Morris, you know, you understand the Morris twins have sort of this history but that was nothing, you know, to get suspended for. You know, was it a hard foul? Yes. And I thought the fine was absolutely perfect. Jokic with sort of the, I guess, malice intent or whatever. But just like kind of, you know, just severity and stuff like that. I think one game is absolutely is perfect. Because it's it's nothing like throwing a punch. They're not throwing a punch. If, if they did, that'd be multiple games for both guys. You know, these were just really hard flagrant fouls and I thought Jokic's foul was harder than Morris's foul so that's why I think the punishments were spot on one of the rare times the NBA actually gets it right with these kind of punishments I think they were right on the money right on the money Jokic only for a game Markeith Morris I think he did play the next night even though he was a little shaken up but getting fined 50k I think you know absolutely perfect but the next time these two teams play is Monday, November 29th. I'm telling you right now, circle that date. Circle the calendar for that date because that is going to be an entertaining game. You know, storylines plenty. Is anyone on the Heat going to retaliate to Jokic for that kind of play? Is Morris going to hold a grudge? I think it's going to be a very heated matchup between the two. I don't know if things, you know, go any further about like throwing a punch or stuff like that. I'm not 100% sure on that. But what happened between the Nuggets and the Heat was absolutely crazy. And if you aren't already tuned into the NBA season, get started because it's going to be moments like this that you're not going to want to miss. next we go to our let's get local segment of the week and once again we're talking about all four of our new england boston teams we'll start with the patriots after winning in carolina 24 to 6 and now they are in the playoff picture after their third straight win now i thought you know it wasn't the prettiest game wasn't the prettiest game at all but this was just a great game plan by coach belichick and that new england coaching staff they moved to five and four because the defense won this game. 
how did the defense win this game? They made Sam Darnold try to beat them, which apparently he will never be able to do as long as he's a quarterback in the NFL. Sam Darnold, that is. They picked him off three times, two by J.C. Jackson, including including the 88-yard pick six, and then they just shut down the run game, 78 rushing yards. So that was the game plan defensively, was to make Sam Darnold beat him. And honestly, they've just been doing that for the past couple of weeks. When they had their game against the Jets, making Zach Wilson and then Mike White beat him, didn't do that. Try to make Justin Herbert beat him, couldn't do that. Made Sam Darnold, don't do that. And now they got to do it for this week with Baker Mayfield. But sticking with the Carolina game, Mac Jones wasn't sharp. But what's good is that he's finally got some pieces around him that are helping him out. We weren't seeing that in the first, first part. The offensive line was helping him out. They were giving him time to throw the ball, maybe not a lot. But he had a rushing attack. 12 of 18, buck 39, touchdown, a pick, and a fumble loss. That's not the greatest game. But the fact is, this offense now has a balance. They now have a balance. It was 151 to 122 in terms of rush to pass. So the rushing attack is finally there. Mac Jones has some help in the run game so he doesn't have to do it all himself. And really, we've just seen that for the past couple of games. Was Mac Jones was just managing the game. Not necessarily winning the game by himself, but he was managing it. And that's what's led to these three straight wins for New England. Now, of course, everyone's talking about Mac Jones and the tackle he had on Brian Burns. When he fumbled the ball, he didn't have the ball, but he grabbed his foot. When you look at that play, it's not dirty. It's not dirty at all. He had his back turned while he was on the ground. If you're on the ground and your back is like looking up, the way Brian Burns was looked like he had the ball. He clearly, I mean, obviously he didn't, but how is Mac Jones supposed to know that? Is he supposed to get up, sit, look, and then tackle? That's just pure instincts right there. And did he deliberately try to hurt him? No, he tried to tackle him. This is just Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, everyone on Carolina just being salty. And now Brian Burns is saying to other D linemen, you know, happy hunting. You know, that's just petty. That is pure pettiness on Brian Burns' part. Like, it's a shame that we're even discussing that it was a dirty play. It was not a dirty play. But, of course, we can't look about the past. we got to look at the future and talk about the Cleveland Browns. I mentioned it with Hannah, but they've got to shut down the run game. They've got to make Baker Mayfield win this game, similar to what they've been doing the past couple of weeks. They did catch a break by having Nick Chubb test positive for COVID. He still could play if he clears protocols in time, but they have to shut down the run game regardless of who it is. If it's Nick Chubb, if it's Dearness Johnson, they've got to shut them down. And really, for Cleveland to win, Baker Mayfield has to beat the secondary because there's no doubt in my mind that J.C. Jackson is going to spend the most time on Jarvis Landry. That's without a doubt. But Jalen Mills, Miles Bryant, the, the safeties, Duggar, Phillips, McCourty, they've all got to shut down these weapons. They've got to shut them down and really just make Baker Mayfield beat them. Because bad shoulder not in all, he's still like an above average quarterback. I'd put him in like the top 15 of NFL quarterbacks. But that's, that's on the defensive side of the thing. The offensive side of the things, like I said... The offensive line has got to protect Mac Jones because this is a vaunted Browns defensive line. You've got Miles Garrett, Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell, Jadavion Clowney. I mean, that is a 
fierce defensive line. And if they don't get any protection for Mac Jones, he's going down. He is going down without effect. So Jones needs the space in the pocket to be able to get those throws off. And then on the other side, for the running game, if Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson can't go, it's going to be really tough for this offense to get going with the weapons that they do have. I mean, if you, if Harris and Stevenson can't go, that means Brandon Bolden and J.J. Taylor would be the only running backs available for New England. And, you know, Bolden's been great in the passing game, but he's he's not a Damian Harris or a Ramondre Stevenson. And J.J. Taylor, kind of the same way. He's kind of like a James White 2.0, but I don't even know if he's that established just yet. But We'll have to see what New England does with the circumstances they're given. You know, whoever's available for Cleveland, we're going to have to see if they can shut them down regardless. But in moving from the turf of Gillette to the ice of the garden, the Bruins finally getting some game in. I mean, last week on uh, the Thursday we recorded was going to be their first game since Saturday. So you couldn't really analyze this team as much as you could. But now they've played three games. They've got... Another game coming up at home against the Edmonton Oilers, which is going to be a really tough task. But I want to talk about Patrice Bergeron and what he's done the past week. He's gotten a point in the past three games. I mean, he had his four-goal game against Detroit, which is absolutely incredible. He picked up an assist at Toronto, and he scored a goal against Ottawa. Bergeron is definitely getting up there. He doesn't have much time left. Not much time left. But is he going to be able to sustain this when we get to the postseason? Because I think regardless of what happens, this Bruins team is a postseason team, regardless of where they end up. But how is Patrice Bergeron going to be factored into that? He's going to have to play a huge part for the kind of line that they have. You know, Pasternak and Taylor Hall and Brad Marchand are going to be the guys, but it's still going to be about the veterans on this team. And Bergeron is that guy. He's going to have to have some big-time games. Now, you know, it's it's still hard to say what this team is going to be like for the rest of the way. I mean, power play opportunities have been incredible so far. They're sixth in the NHL at nearly 26% of a success rate. The only thing I see, especially after the Ottawa game, is they got to limit the penalties, though. they got to limit the penalties. They got 19 minutes of penalty minutes off of eight called penalties against them. So that's got to be something they have to fix. It's got to be something they have to fix. And, you know, we're seeing it on the penalty kill. They're not the greatest. So, obviously, limiting those is going to help out. But in net, you know, Swayman and Allmark, they've held their own. But what is it going to be like, again, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty and they've got to make a decision for who's going to be the lead goaltender for this team? The good thing is it's still early in the year and the Bruins still can make some adjustments. You know, they've got injuries and stuff like that, so they'll be able to they'll be able to hopefully fix some things. But another team that's dealing with injuries and trying to get back on track are the Celtics. And we talked about it. That was the headline last week was the the players only meeting and Marcus Smart's comments after the Bulls loss. Well now they've won four three out of their last four. And the only loss was Luka Doncic's buzzer beater. So that's really with a grain of salt. And keep in mind, most of this they're doing without Jalen Brown. He's out with a hamstring injury, which is really opening the door for Jason Tatum to really finally get this offense going. Because regardless of whether Brown is on the floor or not, the offense is going to run through Tatum. He's going to be the number one guy. He'll either be 1A or 1B. And so far, he's kind of getting his mojo going. 32 against Dallas, 22-12 and against Toronto. 
you know, consistency is going to be the question, though, for this entire squad. The entire squad. I mean, they led by as much as 18 at one point against Toronto last night. But the Raptors were, I think it was like eight or six points back. So it's just about consistency. The full 48 minutes. You can't have any kind of lulls. You know, if you can go 44 out of 48 minutes with, you know, some kind of big lead, then you can say, okay, this is a team you can get comfortable with. But even watching that game last night when you get to the third quarter, it was closer than the 18. And you're just sitting there thinking, okay, let's hope you don't blow it again. And, you know, there's a lot of things I do like about this team. I love Horford's career resurgence. I love Dennis Schroeder, you know, bringing that energy. I love Richardson on the defensive end. But I think the one thing I see is Marcus Smart. You know, he's got to learn that he's not a playmaker, okay? He's shooting 31% from the field and 28% from three, but yet he's still chucking it up. He's got to stop that. He's a bulldog defender. That's what he's got to do. I don't know if he's ever going to learn that because he is the starting point guard for this team, okay? He's not an offensive presence. That's what he's got to learn. But how is this Celtics team going to do with a full 82? You know, we'll have to find out. We'll just have to see how they do. And then finally, with some off-the-field stuff, the free agency period in the MLB is starting to shape up. We know some players on the Sox who are going to stay and who might go. First off, J.D. Martinez, he's going to play out the final year of his five-year contract. He's going to make almost $19.5 million. And honestly, he's a bat you did not want to lose this offseason. I mean... Take away 2020 and that dull year. One of the best hitters for the Sox team. I mean, he made the all-star team this year. He hit 286, 28 homers, 99 RBIs in the regular season. And then when you hit the postseason, 344, three homers, 10 RBIs, plus he had the injured ankle. And honestly, he just feels like he could end his career with the Red Sox because he's going to be 35 by the end of 2022. And the way that he's going, I think, you know, he's probably not going to get a huge contract like he did when he signed with Boston in 2017, 2018. But it just feels like his time's coming up, and it almost feels like his best chance to succeed would be with the Red Sox. I mean, he's already won a title. He's won a title. He went to the LCS uh, this past year. So I think that's huge. I think it, Martinez might be a guy he's, who sticks around the rest of his career with the Boston Red Sox. But that's a story for after 2022. Heading into 2022, Kyle Schwarber is going to be a free agent as he declined his $11.5 million option. I think Schwarber's a guy where you should try to re-sign him, but you're not going to break the bank. You know, you're not going to break the bank and say, you know, you're not going to give him any kind of like Pablo Sandoval or Hanley Ramirez money and commitment, anything like that. Because basically what he did last offseason was he, he took a chance on himself to really have a bounce back year. And sure enough, he did. You know, signing with the Nationals, and then he gets traded to the Red Sox, and he has a career resurgence. And, you know, really the only thing that limited him was his hammy uh, when he first got traded. But he was a key hitter in the postseason. And, you know, like I said, you know, maybe you sign him and shop one of your other outfielders or either let Hunter Renfro go. I think that's a lot of that's a lot of questions for that Sox team, especially with Kyle Schwarber. He should be one of their priorities. And then finally, we have the qualifying offer extended to Eduardo Rodriguez of $18.4 million. Now, if I'm Erod, I'm taking that all the way because I don't think he's going to get that money elsewhere unless some stupid team is going to try and sign him like that because he's not going to get $18.4 million 
anywhere else. He's probably like a a 10 to 15 million dollar guy a year, really when you think about it cuz I mean he his ERA has been, you know, all over the place essentially. He was a 20 game winner in 2019, but he missed 2020 cuz of COVID. He was really back and forth this year. There were times you could count on him and times you couldn't. He feels like a middle of the rotation kind of pitcher. You know, maybe the Red Sox go after another starting pitcher to maybe back sale and Evaldi up. But he just feels like a middle of the rotation guy. If I'm Eduardo Rodriguez, I'm signing that offer. I am definitely signing that offer and sticking around. And who knows? Maybe it leads to an even bigger payday if he plays out that year. He gets a long-term extension or whatever. I'm... If I'm Eduardo Rodriguez, I'm taking the $18.4 million because I'm not getting that anywhere else. But, you know, it's still early for a lot of things in the MLB, free agency, the NBA, the NHL. There's still plenty more news and headlines that will come about in the Boston area. up our shows we always do it's our lol moment of the week and this one is just pure kindness and with a little giggle to it so this week's lol moment of the week is going to pierre the pelican the mascot for the new orleans pelican so let's just set the stage uh this is a pelicans game obviously it's in smoothie king center and there are two fans at courtside. Honestly, I'm surprised any fans are going there, to be honest. And there's a ball that gets deflected out of bounds. And sure enough, two beers, bam, exploded. And they're all over the place. And now fans spent, you know, probably like 20 or 30 bucks on a beer or whatever. And now it's gone from a deflected ball. But what does the mascot for the New Orleans Pelicans do? He comes back with two brand new beers. He gives them to the fans. I mean, what a gesture by the mascot. Now, let's be honest. I mean, the two worst mascots in sports are that King Cake Baby with the Pelicans and that Pelican, the the mascot, Pierre. And sure enough, you know, this was probably like some kind of worker at the Smoothie King Center saying like, listen... You're going to give these to them and stuff like that. And he just went along with it. So the the Pelican, you know, this was definitely like have, it wasn't out of his brain. I'll tell you that right now. This was someone who worked at the arena and they said, we're going to give them some new beers and you're going to deliver them. But I mean, I've never seen that before. I've never seen a mascot like deliver food or drinks and stuff like that, which is very ironic because you look at mascots all throughout the sports world and, you know, they... They make fun of people. They dance with people, stuff like that. I've never seen, you know, delivery and stuff like that. See them that nice. And, you know, they have, like, cheerleaders or whatever saying, congrats, you've won a TV or something. And then the mascot brings the TV. So I guess I guess mascots are just the messenger and stuff like that. But I was, honestly, I was surprised to see this at a Pelicans game because I didn't even know the Pelicans still had fans going to their games. Let's be honest. They stink. They've lost, like, what, nine straight, eight or nine straight. And even when Zion Williamson comes back, they're not even going to be that good because he's so out of shape. I mean, this could have been anywhere else but New Orleans. I mean, that's that's the most 
headlines and actions they've gotten all year you know for they only have one win on the year so i mean whatever kind of attention they're looking for have at it but pierre the pelican because of your nice gesture to a couple of fans giving them some new beers you have landed yourself into this week's lol moment of the week So that'll do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure, as always, you follow our other pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.